continuing to be so kind and merciful and just. Uh, we thank you for uh, giving us all life and strength and good health, soundness of mind, uh, opportunity after opportunity to learn and understand, to obey your will, to share that with those around us, to live it out uh, as an example for all those around us as well. Uh, we pray for our nation. We pray for our city and our communities. We pray for the church here. We ask you to bless uh, each of us individually and each of us as our families are represented. Uh, help us to be and do what you want us to be and do. Help us to, help us to bring uh, godliness wherever we go. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, for this quarter, um, our, our, our topic here is God give us Christian homes. And... Um, Obviously, there's no one text uh, with most of the lessons that I've done in the auditorium. We've been looking at books of the Bible, so we're not going to spend all of our time in one book uh, going through sort of a textual study. This will be a topical study looking at various aspects of the home. And uh, what I intend to do this month is look at uh, maybe four different aspects of godliness in the home that I think are sometimes lacking, at least in our society, sometimes in the church. And what it, I intended to be an invitation for us to sort of look introspectively at our lives as they line up with the Bible. And I do, and I'm sure some others do. I have some things I need to work on, and, and maybe you do. And that should, I hope, be a, be a, a help to us. So tonight, I want to think about the idea of leadership in the Christian home. Uh, can anyone tell me what is leadership? What does leadership mean? This is where you guys tell me. Okay, being in charge. Okay, somebody being in charge. Okay, bringing out the best in another person. Uh, that might be the purpose of leadership. What else? Okay, making a final decision. Somebody has to do that. What else? Anybody in here have a leadership position on their job? Anybody? Okay, serving, which is an approach to leadership. There's different approaches that you might take to doing what it is a leader is called to do. Uh, anybody ever been a leader on a sports team, a leader in their job, a leader in some kind of... Okay, there is a coordinating aspect because you've got a group of people and a group of people in order to move together has to be led and uh, obviously a leader has to do some coordinating to do that. I generally say a leader is a person who goes in advance of others for the express purpose of showing others the way. Uh, you, can be, you can go in advance of others but have no intention that others might follow you. Right? That doesn't make you a leader. You're sort of doing your own thing. But a leader is one who uses his or her example and influence for the express purpose of helping others to go in the right way. So they go in advance of other people so that other people might follow. Um, Jesus, of course, was a leader. Why? He taught people and he encouraged people, but he used those approaches as well as his example to show his disciples how they were supposed to go, right? He used this, he went in advance of others to show the way. And so I want to talk about leadership in the home. 
Uh, leadership in the home can work a lot of different ways. If you look at what's going on in society in general, um, you can see that there are a lot of different ways people can structure their home and leadership in particular. Now, for example, some homes might feature, and this would be the traditional approach maybe, some homes might feature male leadership where the husband and father is considered the head of the house and he's the one who's expected to go in advance of his family and show them the way. And that would involve things like coordinating activities for his family and making certain decisions and so forth. Um, but you also see um, female-led homes. You see where the wife or mother is the one who sort of takes on that role or function. You can see where some homes have a uh, cooperative model, uh, maybe, and I use this in quotations, equal leadership, where husband and wife sort of have the same position and authority, and however that works. There's never such thing as two people being truly equal, but that's the idea, right, that some people uh, might have. Yes, ma'am. Okay, people first leadership. Leadership is uh, a leader focuses on people, right? A manager focuses on processes or things. So good leadership is people, people-centered. Jesus was, was people-centered. Um, you could also have homes, and you do have homes, where the parents are the leaders in the house. They sort of set the parameters for what will go on in the house and so forth. Uh, but you also see that reverse sometimes where the children are the ones who sort of make decisions about what will or won't happen. You know, uh, mom or dad says, uh, come in at this time, and the child comes in whenever they get good and ready. Um, now, whatever the parents say, the child, if that's the way it's functioning, the child is the one who's actually leading. They're the one, ones making the decisions. And uh, you can sometimes have uh, maybe a tr an attempt at a cooperative approach in that respect, too, where the parents and the children sit down and discuss things as equals. OK, I'm just telling you this. These are some different ways that people may try to structure uh, leadership in their homes. What I would point out to you, though, is that God has a very clear uh, leadership approach to the family. And that's what I want us to think about tonight as we think about. God giving us Christian homes, I submit God has given us everything we need. If we want to have Christian homes, then it becomes a matter of our embracing what he has given. Okay, here's the first precept that I would point out to you. Is that legible for all of you guys? God created the family. Um, some people think the family is a social construct. That is to say, as communities and societies evolved, we just thought it was a good idea at a certain point for men and women to get married and to make them obligated to, to raise their kids because that kept the burden off of everybody else. You can read that kind of thing in some kinds of literature, sociology and so forth. But I, I know that it's clear that God created the family. It is a construct of his mind and not man's mind. For example, when you look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, this passage 18 through 25 in particular, you'll remember that God looked at all of his creation and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. If it, it, in his design, he could have left it so that men existed individually and did not cohabitate with one another. It didn't establish families. But he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve and he brought Eve to Adam. And the Bible says that uh, he recognized her as being uh, flesh, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And they were 
Um, the Bible says in verse 25, man and wife. So God is the one who put them together in marriage. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. In Matthew 19, Jesus reflects back on that, and he adds something that I think is pretty important. He reflects back on the fact that God made man and he made woman and he brought them together. And so that was that first marriage. But then he says, there are no more two, but one flesh. What God has then joined together, let not man put asunder. He says, God joined these two together. In joining an individual man and a woman together, they become one unit that is distinct from one or the other. This is a family. This is a family. This is man and wife. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, you see that God has an expectation that this man and his wife would procreate. They would reproduce. They would spawn children together. And so he tells them to be fruitful and multiply this is what we refer to oftentimes as the nuclear family, a husband, a wife, and their children. Who made that? God made that. God is the one who created the family as we know and as we understand it. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, you guys remember the context there in Malachi 2, the the Jews were not being uh, faithful to their spouses and so forth, and God is rebuking them because of that. And he says, um, didn't God make you one? I hate, the, I hate divorce, he says in verse 16, but before that he says, didn't God make you one? That is, Adam and Eve, didn't he join them together as one? And the question is asked, and wherefore one? Why did he make you one? What does God expect to get out of the deal when men and women marry? Well, among other things, it's clear to us, he says, that he expects a godly seed. He seeks a godly seed. So he does look for offspring. Um, that is the nuclear family. And he has some expectations about the kind of offspring that might be produced. That is, they would be people who seek to know and understand and do his will. So God creates the family and the traditional family, as most of us have known it and as most of us probably respect and appreciate, this is not a social construct. What we call the traditional family is what God designed and it is what he intends it is a consequence of his action and his design bringing man and woman together, giving them the ability to procreate and produce after their own kind, right? So he brings man and woman together in marriage. He designs them and directs them to procreate, to reproduce as they are able. He expects the children to remain with the parents until the children are mature. Now, we'll see some verses that will make that more clear later. But he expects the children to remain with the parents until the children are mature. He says the parents are responsible to make sure that those children are godly seed. And then he tasks the uh, parents with, uh, with rearing those children who remain with them. 
Does that make sense, what I'm saying to you? God is the one who created the family. Don't let anybody tell you that this is just some fancy thing that we came up with because we thought it was convenient so we can change it because that's the implication, right? If, if we just made this up, then we can gerrymander and rearrange this thing as we see fit. No, no. Husband, wife, children together in one house, nuclear family, traditional family, that's what God designed. In that setting, when God puts people together in a group and has expectations on the group, he arranges the group, right? He does that in the church. He calls us together out of the world into the church, and he arranges things in the church. So we see, he says, well, there are going to be elders who have these qualifications and responsibilities, and there will be deacons who have these qualifications and responsibilities, and he has ordered and arranged the group. He does the same thing with regard to nations, right? We see that in Romans 13, we, that there's going to be a leader and the people are expected to respond to the leader in a certain way. Well, he does the same thing with the family. He orders it. When I say he orders it, I mean he sort of ranks, if you will, people in the nuclear family in terms of their authority and assigns responsibilities based on this arrangement. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3 is a really good place to look at in this regard because we see the bulk of it here. I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and he says the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. There's order there. Another passage, and we'll look at that again, another passage that's very familiar to us, but where you can see there's some intentionality on God's part in giving order in the home is Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the Savior of the body. Uh, and he says the church is to be subject to Christ and so the wife is to be subject to her husband. I'm just saying you can see that there's intentionality in God's mind about how people in this group are to be arranged, are to be arranged. Uh, in our society, people arrange themselves a lot of different ways. Um, but God has uh, a definite design and arrangement for the home. First thing I point out to you is husbands in the home are supposed to submit themselves to God. Ultimately, the leader in a Christian home is God himself. Ultimately, the leader in a Christian home is God himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3, what does he say? The head of every man is Christ. Every man. Head of your household, that's great. Leader in your household, that's great. Every man has a head and every man's head is God himself. Jehovah, of course, sent his son and Jesus Christ, the head of every man. Um, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 17, you can see that the first couple, they sort of went astray because they got this out of order. You remember Eve takes the fruit and eats of it, and then she offers it to her husband, and he takes of it also. And what does God say? He says, you hearkened to your wife. You listened to your wife when it came to that. But I had commanded you already not to do it. And so to me, that's interesting because there is sort of a competition that takes place. God says one thing. Wife says another thing. Husband listens to his wife instead of God. He's rebuked for that. 
Why? Because he has a head and it's not his wife. He has a head and his head is God himself. Men should listen to their wives. Men should listen carefully to their wives. But God expects men to submit to him in their homes, not their wives to him. And Adam was rebuked in Genesis 3 and 17, and he was punished because he failed to do that. In Ephesians 5 and 29, I know the context is, uh, has to do with preaching the gospel and so forth, and the apostles were being sort of chastised and challenged because they were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were told not to do that. And their response in verse 29 is, listen, if it's better to listen to God rather than you, you have to decide, but we have to obey God. We have to do what God says. There's no human being on the planet that we listen to over and above God. And uh, I would just say to you, while the context has to do with preaching in Jesus' name, it does apply because Christ is the head of every man. We have to listen to God in the home. The man has a head, and the head is, is God himself in every Christian home. So, a Christian home is one that emphasizes the authority that God has and the example that Jesus sets in everything. He is the head in every home uh, by God's design. And so the husband doesn't get to do things however he might want, right? He doesn't get to sort of make it all up as he goes along, not in a Christian home, because he has to know and understand the will of God and he has to submit to it. In a Christian home, people in the home know and understand that the man is the head of the family, but the head of the family also has a head. In a Christian home, that's how it works. What do you guys think about that? Questions or thoughts about it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's right. God is the head of your house if you don't have a husband. Everyone is responsible to submit to God, and you get a choice, right? I mean, you choose if you want to marry or not. Um, if you choose not to marry, you're directly accountable to God, and you don't have a, a husband that God expects you to arrange yourself under. There's no, there's no requirement that we marry, but if you do marry, then you take on all these, all these uh, expectations that God has about how, how marriage and how family is supposed to function. That's a good point. Okay. Husband has to submit to God. Wife has to submit to her husband. Several passages make this uh, point, and I will simply uh, sort of uh, peruse a couple of these with you. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, again, that same passage, the head of the man, the head of the woman is the man. Okay. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands as unto the Lord. This is this is interesting, as it's fitting in the Lord. This is interesting. He's ties together the expectation that a wife will know how to submit herself or arrange herself under her husband to her understanding of who God is and how God expects things to operate. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. What if people don't know what is fitting in the Lord? They will not arrange their homes the way God expects because there is a contingency here. To do this right, you have to know who God is and what God expects. As you push God out of society, you push God out of the home. 
then you can know you can see how it is that people begin to arrange their homes in all kinds of ways because they have gotten rid of the one who set the proper arrangement for them. He says it's fitting in the Lord uh, for a for a man to be the head of his house, fitting in the Lord for a woman to be in subjection to her husband. You see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. He says, here, a woman is supposed to be in subjection to her own husband. I like that word own. It helps me because I've had enough trouble with my own help me. You know, I'm not trying to help get everybody else's wife. I'm just working on the one I have, you know, and she's got to suffer with me. Nobody else has to suffer with me, just... Just my one wife. And he says you have to be in subjection to your own husband as unto the Lord. You see how he continues to tie together this idea of a proper arrangement in the home with an understanding of who God is. And he says, if you know how to submit yourself to the Lord, then you can know and understand how you're supposed to submit yourself to your husband as a wife, as a wife. Question, what if you don't know how to submit yourself to your, to your Lord? What if you don't know how to do that? So you can see how things begin to get out of kilter as you push God out of the home, you push God out of society. Uh, submission becomes a very different proposition. In verse 23, he says, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, uh, being himself the savior of the body. The husband is the head of the wife. How do I understand what that means? He says, well, it's the same way that Christ is the head of the church. If you understand what that means, then you can understand what it means for a husband to be the head of his wife. Titus chapter 2, this is a great passage. I just, I just kind of plucked out uh, verse number 4 and 5, and verse 5 is the one I want to emphasize. But in Titus 2 and verse 1, Paul tells Titus that, listen, you've got to teach these things that become sound doctrine. There are some things, he says, listen, this is healthy teaching. Spiritually, these are healthy things for you to teach and emphasize. And he talks about younger men and older men, and he talks about younger women and older women. And in verse number four, he, he tells us that these older women have a responsibility to train the young women. I love this. Train the young women to love their husbands and love their children. We'll talk about love in the home. Not today, but we will. And he says to be sober-minded, chaste, workers at home, kind, being in subjection to their own husbands. There it is again. Now, notice that he ties this idea of male leadership and a respect for male leadership in the home again to one's faith in Christ Jesus, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What if you don't understand what the word of God teaches and requires? regarding leadership in the home. You just, won't, you just won't have a Christian home. You just won't have a Christian home because everything that we do in the home is based on a proper, in a Christian home, it's based on a proper understanding of who God is and what God is doing. As we emulate the things that God is doing and that God is expecting from the church in the home, we have Christian homes. Um, when we think about wives... The, uh, I just point out to you, though it may be obvious, in these passages where you see the head of the wife language, uh, that's figurative language, right? It's not talking about a physical head. That's figurative language that has to do with rank. 
And the, the word submission, which we find not just for wives, we find it all through the New Testament in various contexts, but the word submission means to arrange yourself under. It doesn't have anything to do with intellect. It doesn't have anything to do with merit. It means to arrange yourself under. I see God's expectation in the church for elders. He has expectations for elders. And I arrange myself under the elders because I see what God expects of elders, and that's what's appropriate. He says, masters and servants, same language. I see what God expects from a master, and if I am a servant, I arrange myself under. I don't have to be subjugated. No one has to make me. I arrange myself under. I've had one or two bosses I think I knew more than, but they were my boss, and I arranged myself under. That was appropriate. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You have a chain of command, and, but you can still have leadership at all levels. Uh, it's an interesting concept. I, I don't know that I'll flesh it out too much um, in, our, in our chats uh, over this next couple of months, but there's an interesting concept called 360 degrees of leadership. Uh, leadership is not about your position. There is an expectation of leadership incumbent upon certain positions, but you can be a leader without any position or title. Because what is leadership? It's going in advance of others specifically so that they can see and follow in going the right way. So it doesn't have to do anything to do with a title. Uh, it's just that certain titles and positions demand it, but you don't have to have a title or a position to do it. Okay. Surely, my God, God expects me as a husband to be the leader in my house for my family. He expects that. And uh, surely he expects me to do that only if I have a great wife and children that listen to me. Right? Because that's only fair, right? If she's not going to be a good wife, I mean, why would I bother trying to be a good husband and leader? Because surely God expects me to do what he wants only when somebody else does what he wants. Or maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not right. The same would be true for a wife. You know, what if you have um, a husband who is not a believer? And so he doesn't really appreciate what God expects him to do. I tell you what that's going to do for you as a wife who's trying to do what God expects you to do. It's going to make your job a lot more difficult than it should be. But as a husband, if you have an unbelieving wife, one who kind of doesn't care to listen to what you have to say, you still have to be the kind of husband that God wants you to be. If you're a wife and you have a husband who's he's just, boy, I mean, he's the bloke you chose, but he's just not a very good one. Uh, you, still have to, you still have to be the kind of wife God expects you to be. I see that in 1 Peter 3. You remember in 1 Peter 3 he says, what if a wife has an unbelieving husband? Well, she's still supposed to submit to him. If he doesn't believe because of the word, then he can be brought to belief by her good example. Um, everybody else is turning in their Bible. I'm going to turn in mine. 
You guys remember that? 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, In like manner you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that even if any obey not the word, they may without the word be gained by the behavior of their wives. I mean, this is saying if your husband's not a believer, God still expects you to arrange yourself under your husband. Obviously, we're going to obey God more than anything. I mean, we're not going to fall away from Christ because of the husband, but to the extent that uh, we can submit to him without disobeying the Lord. That's what God expects us to do. That passage is an interesting one. I, I won't go through all of it maybe, but um, you, remember, you see in verse 6, he talks about Sarah as an example. He says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose children you now are if you do well and are, and are, uh, and are not put in fear by any terror. Right. You guys remind, I need to emphasize verse 6 more because I don't know that my wife's ever called me Lord. And I've got Bible. I've got Bible. I feel like I've been shortchanged. Uh, maybe there's something that God is uh, calling her to do that I've not emphasized enough. He called her Lord, or she called him Lord. Bible. Okay. You're not Abraham. Well, now you gave her. Now, now I can't use it because you gave her. You gave her an out. Okay, that's probably right. That's probably right. I'm not Abraham. Okay, so. God gives us order. Listen, he gives you order in society. He gives you order in the church. He gives you order in the home by his design in the home. He's the head. Listen, he's the head of every home. And he has, he has an earthly representative in the home, the husband, the father, who's supposed to be listening to him and arranging and ordering things in that home according to his design, okay? And the wife is going to uh, submit to her husband because she respects that. Now, I mentioned sometimes parents, uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, I, my kids are young enough that I, I've not had to, uh, you know, deal with the teenagers and stuff. I suppose that's, that's coming to me, uh, God willing. But when it comes to raising your kids, you know, we can read all of the books that we want, and some of them are helpful. Some of them have probably done a lot of damage, you know, telling us how we're supposed to raise our kids and what we can and cannot do and all this and rearing them. You know, I like to read, and, I, you know, we have to separate the wheat from the chaff, but ultimately I don't surrender myself to what the latest psychologist says is good for my kid. God expects parents to submit to him in rearing their children. So you look at a passage like Ephesians 6 and 4, he's talking specifically to the fathers, and he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That gives me a standard for how I can treat my children, how I, how I choose to raise my children. I can only raise my children in a way that is consistent with the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As the father, I have that limitation because I am subject to God in everything. So parents have to submit to God even as they raise their own children. Some people would say, well, aren't these my kids? I can do whatever I want with my kids. Well, no, they're not your kids. They're God's people. They're God's creation. And he has given them to you for a set amount of time so that you can do something very specific, guide them to become godly people. So you don't get to do whatever you want. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
1 Timothy 3 and 4, he says, uh, speaking of elders, that they're to have their, rule their own houses well, having their children in subjection. Now, you might look at that and say, well, this is, a, this is to be a reflection on the children, but obviously it's a qualification for the elder. It's not a reflection on the children. In this passage, it's an obligation on the, on the father to make sure that he does lead his house well and that he does have his children in subjection with all gravity. There is a seriousness and a sobriety that is introduced into the parenting relationship by God himself. And in a Christian home, parents, parents recognize that. We don't do whatever we want. We just don't turn our children loose to, to raise themselves. We don't give our children over to society and hope for the best. It's very serious business, and the Christian home uh, will respect that. So you look at Genesis 18 and 19 just for an example. And God says, you know, he knows Abraham. I know this man. I know that he's going to command his children, his household after him. He's going to command his children and his household, others in his house, uh, that they will keep the way of Jehovah to do righteousness and judgment, justice. He was not expected to raise his children any way he wanted. He was expected to raise his children in the way God wanted. You see a similar uh, but converse here in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13. You know, Eli has a couple boys, and they were some real rascals. I mean, these guys were, they were mature men. They were adult men, um, but they were some really, some really bad guys. And God punishes Eli because he had failed to restrain them. This helps me to see that uh, children are not expected to raise themselves. A lot of people in society now think children are just kind of supposed to raise themselves, figure it out for themselves. I, I've seen people actually who've got like letters behind their names get on television and try to explain to the public that children are supposed to make all these mistakes and figure it all out for themselves. I mean, at very young ages. And that's foolishness. It's foolishness. God says you're supposed to restrain your children. Now, the reason I point this out is because it is, it is disrespectful and disobedient not to restrain your children. You, you don't get to do whatever feels good to you in raising your children. You don't get to not have some confrontation with your kids because it's uncomfortable. You don't get to sort of let them do whatever they want because it's easier. In a Christian home, children are raised and restrained. And in a society like the one that we live in, I tell you, that's, that alone is going to make the Christian home distinct. Uh, the point here is uh, in a Christian home, parents realize they have an obligation to God to rear, raise up, and restrain, hold back their children in the manner that God prescribes. The Bible says in Psalm 127 and verse 3 that children are a heritage of the Lord. Children are a gift of, from God to the parent. And so Christian parents know that they have to account to God for how they raise these children up. Yes, sir. I saw you move. I tell my students, you don't get to do that. Uh, you don't get to just like move your hand because my peripheral is very strong. I see that kind of stuff. All right. 
You guys have probably seen husbands who expect their wives to listen to them while they refuse to listen to God. Not in a Christian home. See? Maybe you've seen mothers who expect their children to submit to them, to listen to them, to obey what they say. They expect their children to do that, but they won't do that with their husbands. Not in a Christian home, because... We all understand and respect that God gives order and we will do it the way that God tells us to do it. Um, I want to say something about children here, although I know that most of the kids uh, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be with us right now, but I want to say something about it. In Ephesians 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, of course, in verse 4, he says fathers are to uh, bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But in verses 1, 2, and 3, he says, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. He keeps tying this idea of arranging yourself under someone else to a proper understanding of who God is and what God expects. Obey your parents in the Lord, he says, for this is right. Then he says, honor your father and mother. And of course, under the old covenant, this is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He says, obey your parents because it's right and honor your parents, your mother and your father, your mother and your father. So children submit to their parents. Why? Not because their parents know more than them. Listen, your parents do know more than you, but that's not why you submit to them. Children submit to their parents, not because their children, their parents pay the bills, although you should submit to your parents because they do pay the bills. But you submit to your parents because it is right in the Lord, because this is the way God designed it and you respect his design. You know, there's going to come a point in time in most kids' lives where they will honestly believe they know better than their parents. Am I the only one who had that kind of idea at a certain point? Was it just me? You know, you get to high school or something and you actually say to yourself, they don't know what they're talking about. As if there's something new under the sun, right? They've never heard of any of this. They've never experienced any of this before. You actually and honestly believe that. But you will listen to them because it is right in the Lord. That's why you will do it. Even if you think you know better than them. Bible says in Colossians 3 and 20, uh, children, obey your parents in all things. Boy, I like the word all. It just helps me because, I mean, what, what, what's left out? If it's all, what am I missing? Only when I think, you know, my parent agrees with me or I think that the amount of leash that they're giving me is the appropriate amount, then I will listen and conform or all things. Which one is it? Is it, it all doesn't have any exceptions in all things. In a Christian home, You shouldn't have children speaking back to their parents in a disrespectful way. I see that kind of stuff in the world. If you're going to have a Christian home, you cannot abide that in your house. See, something's fundamentally broken if you as the parent tell your children to stop and your children look back at you and now want to have a conversation. See, I tell my children, if you have something to say, it better begin, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. 
then if you have something to say, there may be some room, but we don't have a discussion when you're told to do something. There's nothing to discuss. Does that sound draconian to you? Am I living in the dark ages? Because I kind of figure that's what God is saying, how this is supposed to work. You obey in all things. Parents aren't infallible. Parents make mistakes. But if your parents not telling you to do something that God would prohibit, then you're going to do what they say. Then you can come back and say, maybe can we talk about it? But you obey first. Luke 2 and 51, uh, I think this is pretty good. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus went back with his parents and he was subject to them. If there was ever a 12-year-old who knew better than his parents, this is the one. But he was subject to his parents in all things. And the Christian home, Christian young people, or young people growing up in Christian homes, are going to follow that example. So children should recognize and respect parental authority in all things because their parents protect and provide for them, but more importantly, because in a Christian home, they know this is right and well-pleasing to God, even if they know as much as Jesus knew as a child. Guess what? And they don't. And they don't. So we'll leave it there, but uh, I think that's a foundational thing. If you're going to have a Christian home, there's going to be some order, uh, and people are going to respect the order that God has set set forth in the Bible, and one of the reasons we see things so fundamentally broken around us is that people don't respect it. Okay, thank you.